Asterisks, welcome to another episode of Ad Aster. Today, we'll be interviewing Vinaka Norris from Diversifier Narrative and talking about different topics that Ad Aster and Diversifier Narrative are passionate about. I'm Liz, my pronouns are she, her, I'm from New York City, and one song that I can't get out of my head this week is, like every song in the Taylor Swift, like the Red Album, yeah, I've been listening to that a bunch. Uh, I'm Maddie. My pronouns are also she, her, and I'm from Florida. And okay, so I couldn't really narrow it down to one. Um, a song that I've been listening to from the past week is Andromeda by Wiseblood, which um, it just sounds like the name. I love dream pop. So I've also been listening to Heaven or Las Vegas by the Cocteau Twins. It's like the perfect driving song. I've been driving all over. <laughs> and then since you brought up the Red Album, I've recently been listening to a lot of Sad, Beautiful, Tragic. Uh, it's very underrated, and I'm very excited for the re-record. I hope that the 10-minute version of All Too Well can really hold up to the standards. Yes, that's so exciting. So hi, everyone. I'm Vanaka Norris. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, I also am from Florida. I live uh, a little bit near Tampa. And then a song that I've been listening to. So I have been listening to Bo Burnham's Inside on repeat for like way too long. Um, All Eyes on Me really has a hold on me. <laughs> um, so that's what I would have to say is the song. But the, the whole album is, is really great. First off, I love Bo Burnham. And I love like, I've been listening to like White Woman's Instagram. I can't get that out of my head. All right, so before we get into like talking about um, how we've been shaped by like our experiences in like media and like um, really finding our narratives, I'd love to like learn about more, um, more about like diversifying narrative, like how you guys started and what your favorite part about it is. Yeah, those are all really good questions. So I guess our origin story, as I like to call it, um, we started last June. So we literally just turned a year old, a couple weeks ago now. Um, and our founders, Caitlin and Jasmine, were really wondering how we can sort of fix the root of um, the ignorance that we were seeing and that we have been seeing for the past 100 years. Um, and we saw that in the school system, right? Your lack or the whitewashing of education uh, really prompts the ignorance that we're seeing today. So we wanted to make sure that we can make a difference in our schools to produce a productive dialogue around anti-racism, about white supremacy, about system, systematic oppression, um, and all of those topics that we don't usually get to hit on from you know different perspectives. Uh, so that has really been our, our core mission. Uh, and as we've expanded, we've expanded our topics that we cover, our uh, policies and stuff like that um but it's been really awesome to be a part of it i think what's so cool is seeing all of our on the ground organizers uh really making a difference in their community um just last week i think we had um uh, actually a canadian chapter go ahead and make a huge difference in their english department um they have a whole set of i believe BIPOC authors coming in to speak about, you know, their experiences. They're having, you know, workshops with their teachers. They're reformatting their school uh, book list. And that's that's so encouraging to see, right? Um, for so long, we've been taught this very whitewashed, very solid narrative that doesn't include really any nuance or any other 
perspectives and it's time that we fix it. And that's basically what Don does. That's really cool. I I love how you brought up like opening students up to like new perspectives because like the education system is responsible like for so much of like how we see the world. And it's like a real problem um, because it's been whitewashed so much and a lot of students feel like they're not represented. um, And that's also why we started Aster Lit and Maddie can go more into that. But we think that it's a well, we know it's a problem in literature, too. Uh, particularly, I remember we all met at this University of Iowa Between the Lines program, which was kind of made for this cultural immersion. And we were kind of struck by how many opportunities there really were for uh, U.S.-based writers, programs, contests, that sort of thing. But there wasn't as many for international writers. And definitely we saw like so many talented writers at this program that didn't even get some of the same opportunities to be published or even just be recognized the way that we did. So we definitely thought that we wanted to uh, extend the opportunities that we've been given and kind of give back to the very communities that really supported us in the beginning. And especially, I think it gained a lot of relevance like during the quarantine summer when we were all kind of isolated from basically everyone but each other and Zoom and we somehow managed to make it work. And I think that just really underscored how important art literature just connection really can be in a really disconnected time like it really was such a stark difference for me especially just those two weeks compared to the rest of my summer where I was kind of struggling a little because I couldn't really go outside I was kind of I love my family but I was kind of with them the whole time (laughs) and um, it's just really crazy the lack of opportunities that can really just be illuminated when you're in a time that's so isolated. And that really just inspired us to really move forward with Astrolit and try to fix this issue that we saw, which I think can kind of stem from what you guys are really focusing on with Dawn. Yeah, that's really cool. I think um, as we've expanded globally, we have a couple chapters uh, in Asia as well as Canada. and we get to see the vast difference in their school systems. And there are very different opportunities, especially for people who are creative, people who are artistic, people who, you know, just in general, globally, there is such a difference between the US system of education and, you know, how they run their opportunities and how their marginalized communities are affected versus overseas. Um, So it's super cool that you guys were able to notice that problem and sort of jump on it right away and realize, hey, this community is is not being reached the way it should be. um, And we can fix that. So that's really cool. Yeah. And I think something else that we discovered is like, during those two weeks, we really like, we relearned how to write. And like, especially like in like Western centric competitions, there's like a lot of pressure to sort of like, um, milk, like milk everything that you've gone through, like, basically like any like a breakup is like an opportunity to write like an award-winning novel and there's always this pressure to really like commodify your trauma even if you're not ready to talk about it or it's seen as something like exotic or it's seen as something that has to be like consumed for entertainment and I think like something that was great about like Between the Lines and like Astor Lit something that we're trying to do is really moving away from that and helping people realize whether Um, they're from the U.S. or they're from Asia, Um, any part of the world realize that like there's so much 
they're worth so much more than like the external value of their writing or like if they're published or a literary journal says that they're good enough, their writing is already good enough. Like you don't have to be published to be a writer. You don't have to write um, really depressing prose. And even though like your story is valid, that's not, you should never be forced to tell a story that you're not ready to tell. And I think like another thing that like kind of intersects like education and writing is like creating your own opportunities and kind of like rewriting the narrative, no pun intended. Um, And just like really creating like more nuanced and open spaces, like not just for like sharing writing, but also like learning more about each other. And I'd be really interested to like hear what you have to say and like um, what Maddie and like, well, I'm interested in what I have to say too um, about like the, about how like you can create your own opportunities um, and really like move away from like that sort of like trauma centric narrative that's taught in school. I think so often with literature and, you know, even just history in general, we like to focus on the traumatic experiences as if that characterizes a group, right? When we think about the oppression of black people, we immediately go to slavery. But what we don't see in literature typically, or even in history is black triumph, black joy, black achievement. We are always focused on, you know, the struggles and understanding the fact that struggles are important. They do not define a person, right? Your struggle, however big or however small it may be, does not discount your successes, your happiness and all of your worth because your struggles and your triumphs make up who you are. But when you only are fed, especially when you're a person of color or a marginalized community in school and you're only seeing this one-sided, very depressing picture of your community, it can make you feel like that's all you have to offer. If if someone asks you, what is your culture like? and, And all you've been told is the bad part, you're only going to reiterate, oh, well, you know, Asian Americans have been discriminated against hundreds of times. We don't get paid the same. We have the bamboo ceiling, right? And there's so many other amazing Asian American achievements that we can be talking about. But when we don't focus on joy, how are our students and how are our writers going to realize that joy is just as valuable as struggle? Um, and it's so sad because I see this on TikTok all the time. It's like, oh, my dad died, but my college essay was great. <laughs> like, we shouldn't, we should not be using our trauma, even if it's your way of coping, which I don't, I disagree with. I think humor is a great way to cope, but we should not have to exploit our own trauma for our success, right? If you, if you didn't have anything big happen to you, that doesn't make you any less worthy of telling your story, even if it's all success, right? Which typically, (laughs) it's usually not all success, (laughs) but in case yours is, that doesn't mean that you have, you know, all this easy lifestyles or all these amazing opportunities. It doesn't matter because your story is just as valuable as someone who has not had those opportunities. It's just reevaluating the way that we frame our own narratives and how the school system and literature in general frames, you know, struggles and triumphs, I think. Yeah, definitely. I have also kind of seen the same thing on TikTok. Like another thing that definitely kind of bothers me a little bit is like someone will post something positive. Usually it has to do with like a family member 
Um, and they'll like, someone will be like, oh, wow, that's nice. My family member doesn't even like me or like they're dead. And it's like, okay, I understand <laughs> that you are sad. You're feeling sad about this, but I think that it's really like not appropriate. Like, of course, social media is a forum and you should be able to share your opinions and stuff. But like the solution is not to like immediately like dump something like that on someone. And like to a lesser degree, it also happens a lot on like romantic posts where it can be kind of funny where someone's like, oh my gosh, this is so cute. I'm depressed though, because I'm single. When it's like someone posting like a cute thing with their family, it's like, are you really trying to make them feel guilty for that? Like, and I think it's just another symptom of how easily we're willing to just kind of give this up, even though it's like often like a really difficult topic, you know, like it's kind of weird that we're like, a lot of people are saying we're getting more sensitive, but I feel like also at the same time, we're kind of being desensitized as well. Like, especially with like TikTok, our attention spans getting shorter. So that often means we get to the point quicker, but that can also mean like a lot of disturbing stuff sometimes for maybe people that don't always deserve it. Yeah, I feel like it's, I I think you're definitely right about like us being desensitized. Like, I feel like someone could post like, oops, like I, I fell off a cliff and someone's like, oh, me too, bestie. Like, (laughs) it just feels like there's, it, I guess like, it's also, um, we've really never been taught to like write about the in-between or I guess like even explain ourselves like with the in-between, like it's either like everything's like amazing, like you're so successful, like everything's going your way, or like you're going, um, it's like not going well at all. And um, I feel like we've never been taught to like write with nuance or like even like think of ourselves as like works in progress. And I feel like not being able to think of yourself as like a work in progress or like something, someone that's constantly evolving. I feel like that kind of like leads into that narrative too. No, I I totally agree. And this weird dichotomy, especially on TikTok and social media and writing in general of like, oh, if I don't have like something sad or something interesting or something that's like worth sharing, then I must be a bad writer. But you aren't like living yet. <laughs> like I have to remind my team members this all the time. I'm like, you're literally 14. <laughs> what, what you have so much more life to live that to be like at 18 and be like, I've never experienced anything interesting. You barely, you're like a third of the way through your life, Bessie, calm down a little bit. When work in progress, like your work has barely begun. You are laying the foundation. We haven't even built up any of the posts or anything. Um, and that's what's so sad is that I think trauma also forces us to grow up faster. But when we sort of bring that up in a pretty funny way, LOL, whoops, I ran over my dog one time. That's pretty sad, right? But then you bring it up and people are like, oh my God, LOL, same, I ran over my cat. And it's like, hey, maybe we should work through this problem. And let's not let's not focus on just sharing it for attention or sharing it because you think it's funny let's let's take a pause and really wonder hey 
did I even feel the feelings that are associated with his action? Because for some people, I know I get used to this too, because sometimes I overshare on TikTok. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes something bad will happen. I'll be like, oh my God, I have to make a TikTok about this. But I never even felt the real feelings of like the sad part because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get this so many views on this TikTok. And that's like not good. <laughs> and usually they don't even do it good anyways. But it's so, it's so weird to see like trauma and sadness and this weird edgy, you know, she believed he lied type vibe prized over like just normal living which is or like happiness i think we're seeing this a lot um you know people of color want stories that are just happy coming of age stories maybe don't make it about race all the time like yes obviously there are problems of race but if every single story is like oh my gosh she got hate crime like okay we get it like i live every day i know <laughs> can i just see the girl go to homecoming please like we don't need to see all of this sadness all the time and then think that that's what makes us important or that's what makes us worthy because we're just worthy because we're living like we don't need to suffer or be uber successful to feel like valuable because you just are but sometimes we don't see that especially in social media anymore which is kind of sad yeah definitely one thing that reminds me of that when you were saying this is some there's this um account on instagram i think it's called like michaela and it's like this thing made by an ai company so she's not a real girl but yesterday she made a post saying that she was sexually assaulted in Uber. Now, obviously, because it's an AI, it didn't happen. But like, it's literally the perfect encapsulation of like everything we've been talking about, because Michaela, this AI, the company is using that to drum up attention, because we've gotten to this point where like, it has to, like, it's being used for publicity. And it's like, crazy because it's just so bad <laughs> like how could how I'm so sad that we let it get to this point and the company is getting a lot of flack as they should I mean it's kind of weird that an AI has an Instagram but that's past the point like come on like I literally know people that went to like a jury that had jury duty on a case where like a guy was doing that in an Uber and it's like even though I didn't directly experience it like that's just so insensitive and like just it's sad that like as a, a company they decided to market it and even sadder that they knew that this would happen that even though we can express our outrage about it at the same time it's like also kind of pushing it to the forefront like maybe some of you listening hadn't heard of this and like I feel like it's important to talk about it but it's also like giving them more attention and it's like a weird cycle of like it's just gonna get worse and worse which is kind of sad to think about wow that's insane I didn't I didn't know like Michaela existed but like the fact that they would do that because like that and like for people who for survivors of sexual assault who feel like their story is invalidated like especially like after what happened with Bill Cosby that's just like so like insensitive like isn't even like the word to cover it 
It's so weird that like shock value is so important. Like I've, well, I've heard about Michaela because I saw a YouTube video. I think maybe like, oh, maybe Danny Gonzalez or something did one like a long time ago. But I remember when she was like a thing. And but like the thing is, especially this week after the Bill Cosby whole fiasco, the absolute outrage is like, I'm already sweating. And then to have this go on like you just put up a picture of her like i don't know walking the dog why do we have to do this to gain views like is that all like trauma is now like i know that that's not the case but when we reduce it and use it not only for corporate i don't know corporate gain that makes people who have actually gone through that particular situation feel like okay great now i'm now it's commodified now everyone's gonna be like oh my gosh this ai was sexually assaulted uh how fake is that and then they're going to invalidate other people's struggles but no now the company's getting oh you know all publicity is good publicity right like it doesn't matter if they're getting flack because we're talking about it and that's what's so sad is that it's it's hard not to cover problematic things when the reason they're problematic is because they're trying to get us to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. I did not know you were going to hit us with that. I thought it was going to be like a race thing because I'm pretty sure she's like somewhat, I'm pretty sure she has I a think, race. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I can't say that I like follow her, but I had like watched a video about her and like how it was like kind of creepy like a year ago, but like I didn't realize that we needed to make a whole backstory for the AI and like that we needed that. Like, it's like, it's like reading a fantasy book and they decide that they're going to keep in like all these assault scenes so that it's accurate, but it's like, it's a fantasy world. Like you can, you don't have to, you're making it. It's like, it's almost kind of similar to that almost in a way, but like still just worse in every way. Like, can drum up publicity some, somewhere else. Do a meet and greet. Like, don't have the rope. Like, why would you put a robot through? Why would you put, want anyone to go through this? Like, but I think the, the point that you just brought up where they have like fantasy writers who will bring in very dark themes from the real world. I saw a post on that literally two days ago. The Instagram algorithm really said, be prepared for this podcast. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even think like, how that's so bad because I was like, oh, it is realistic. And then you're like, no, you literally could leave it out because it's not a real world. It's like, why, if you could avoid talking about that topic or you could avoid talking about really sensitive, problematic things and you choose to do it in a world where it doesn't have to exist, that's a reflection of you, right? Why do you want to incorporate racism? Why do you want to incorporate sexism or sexual assault or something like, or like, a crimes in a fantasy world literally make it nice i get if you want to have challenges but give them a dragon you don't need to give them this and it's again we see this weird idea of trauma being the catapult to success when you can just be yourself and be successful i don't understand i don't understand Authors. yeah like i 
I mean, I was think I actually have this, like, I use this analogy, like, all the time, but, like, I was talking, I think I was talking to my mom about, like, Inside Out, and I was like, listen, if I told you that a movie was emotional, would you assume that it made me cry or that it made me happy? And she was like, oh, of course, like, it would make you cry. And I was like, literally, that's the problem right there. Like, immediately, we assume that sadness and trauma are important like we need to get the reader to feel something and that feeling something usually has to come from a negative emotion or a negative point of view or like the character needs to go through a bunch of really trying times so that we can emphasize with them and that we know that they're strong and it's like you can um maybe this maybe this is why I don't write novels but like can a character be strong with like out having to go through something like that or like without having to always stand up for everything like can't they just like exist and like have fun like in another like in like the queer community like does every book need to have a really traumatic coming out I mean I don't think so like oh God, how many I was, people have to do that I was reading this book um I think it's you should see me in a crown and I think it's like the perfect example of like how you can like write a story about like a queer protagonist and it doesn't have to be about the trauma related to the queer community like it's just a story about a girl who wants to go to prom and like becomes prom queen so I think like that's a perfect example of like moving away from trauma and like still having challenges um that Liz experiences um like she does experience racism at some points in the book she does experience like some like pushback from like her peers but for the most part it just her like going through her normal high school experiences and like falling in love and stuff like that. And I think that's like why, like going back to education, like why we should teach more YA books and like contemporary books. I think that we brought up like a lot of really good points. So now I'm like interested to hear about solutions because I think it's important to always end with hope. That's, that's such a beautiful statement. Like it's good to end with hope. Anyways, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, I think solution wise is one, if you're a writer, like if you're listening to this and you're writing or you're an author or something, please know that trauma is not your pathway to success if you don't want it to be. If you have, I think what's so important is making a character strong because they are simply strong. They don't need to be, I think this also translates in the, in the real world as well, but you don't have to go through thousands of trials and tribulations and rise from the ashes and be like, I'm strong now. You were strong when you started. Like it's okay to be strong and have like a good childhood. You can do both, it's possible. Um, and then in terms of the education system, because there is such this focus on like one really outdated like teen oriented things um Romeo and Juliet we don't need to read anymore we know the story we can watch Romeo and Juliet we got it um but incorporating realistic characters that apply to not only white students in the classroom but apply to all students is so important and seeing them not only represented in a way that you know does tackle big themes but tackles things like regular high school things if they have a prom and they need to pick a dress, that's a struggle. You don't understand the struggle that is picking a dress for prom. So maybe that's something you can add instead of being like, oh my gosh, I need to have childhood trauma. No, maybe they don't. <laughs> maybe they don't. Um, so school systems, one, be more diverse in general. <laughs> like, come on, 
come on, please. And second, trauma is not the only part of a community. It's for any community ever. There's never just, oh, it's traumatic. Like when we skip nuance, we skip identity and that's not okay. I really like the last thing that you said. And it reminds me of something that like I was taught like a long time ago, like I was volunteering, I think somewhere at a a burn survivors inpatient treatment. And they were talking about, listen, when you talk to these people, they're not victims of anything. They're survivors, you know, and you don't characterize someone by like the traumatic thing that they went through. And like that terminology, I think like it really just kind of culminates the whole thing that I think that we've been talking about. And I don't know about other people in general, but I have a really hard time writing about sad things anyways, because I, I find that it's kind of hard to have like super depth or really anything. Like I, I've tried um, because I think like, oh, maybe like inspiration will strike like when I'm really listening to like some sad music and I'm like kind of sad, but it doesn't usually end up being that way. Um, it, kind of ends up being less sophisticated. You know, I think that it's really the mark of a great writer if they can really make me feel like happy while reading it because I don't see that happening that much. Like a really good happy ending, I think is like the most powerful thing or like reading something and you genuinely feel happy for the character instead of just feeling sad. I think it's easier to make a, re- a reader feel sad and like easier to pull at their heartstrings that way. So. I think that it's a more difficult writing exercise even in expressing joy. And maybe that's part of why we're seeing this. But as a writer, it's like super a great exercise, really, to try it. Because I think it also makes you feel better after writing it. I got to be honest. But maybe that's just me. But yeah, I think that's definitely a strategy. The solution starts with us. We're the next generation. If we want it to be solved, we can't just, you know, wait on everybody else. Why don't we start it, you know? Yeah, there's so many more, there's so many amazing stories that like, that are encapsulate like that idea that like you should write with gratitude and like you should write about like picking out a prom dress because that, that is hard. I'm like very indecisive. So like, I, I felt that. And anyway, I think like another important thing, writing is not therapy. Let me repeat, writing is not therapy. Like if you want to like, um, if you want to process emotions, you should definitely do that. But please don't use writing as like the only way to like really sort through those emotions because in the long run, one, it's not sustainable. Two, it's really like you never want to reduce yourself to art because even though art imitates reality, it should never be like a substitute for like a person or a friend or a family member who you could trust with that. So just remember to like take care of yourself. And as for the education system, um, definitely what Banaka said, um, I what you said was so poetic, how um, when you remove nuance, you remove identity. And I think that we should have more like appreciation and more gratitude and like really highlighting achievements because there is so much and not just like learning about like how colonizers like made all these inventions and they ended up like killing people. Um, But like every culture has something great that they gave to the world and are currently giving to the world. And I think that we should really emphasize that while still teaching about their history and how they've been um, marginalized, because it's important to know that and important to like constantly be working towards a solution.
that concludes our episode for today. This was an amazing conversation. Uh, you weren't here for this, but before we were talking about like um, the vices and virtues of Florida and like how great Publix is. So, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll do an episode on that next time. But I until- want Publix. Yeah. Sub. Publix for the wind. Sub. Chicken tender subs, you know. If you live in a Southern state, you know. I still think New York is better, but I will come for the Publix. This is the best I've ever had. You might not say that, but you probably will. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And until then, stay tuned for the next episode of Ad Aster.